0: What's up, guys? It's the phenomenal AJ Styles. You're listening to the two-man power trip.
1: Hey, everybody out there. This is the franchise Shane Douglas. Remember me?
2: Ha, <laughs> ha, ECW one-weight champion. The ECW. When you want the load down the professional wrestling, come right here to the two-man power trip of wrestling. You'll get all the load down. Ha, 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 ha.
0: Well, guys, it's great to be on the, on the show again. I appreciate you asking me back. It just You said you were going to pinch yourself. I didn't know it was that kind of show now. I mean, if you guys are in the privacy of your own home, if you want to do these things. but Chad and John, the two-man power trip. That's, uh, that's an awesome uh, name for yourselves. Good. How you doing, Chad? Hey, Johnny. Cool, man. What's going on? We ready to go or what? Oh, okay.
2: uh. This is Ricky the Dragon Steamboat. This is Scotty Riggs, and you're listening to the Two-Man Power Trip of Wrestling.
0: Hey, man. What's up, guys? This is Homicide. Oh, that's my homie. Homicide with a big homie club. Yeah, that would be it. <laughs> hey, this is David Penzer, and this is the Two-Man Power Trip of Wrestling. Well, thank you, thank you. Hear me, fear me. Black Saturday, Crucifixions, Andy Kaufman, the 2020 Expose, Curtain Calls, wrestling has had its share of controversial moments, but we wanted to know what you thought was the most controversial. So on this show, we'll count down your top five choices via our online poll at kayfabecommentaries.com, and we'll see what the stars of the ring have to say about your choices. So let the countdown begin. These are wrestling's most controversial moments.
3: This is the two-man power trip of wrestling brought to you today and powered by the return of Spartacon. Spartacon 2 is Saturday, August 13th and Sunday, August 14th at the Blue Crab Stadium in Waldorf, Maryland. It's the only dedicated Spartacus fan convention in the United States, complete with live action gladiator battles inside the arena, exclusive celebrity meet and greets with the stars of Spartacus, and so many more unique events. Head on over to RedSerpents.com for more information on this amazing one-of-a-kind event, and please stay tuned a little bit later on in the show to find out more of how you can be a part of the return of Spartacon. And if you didn't know by now, my name is Chad, and as always, I'm joined by my tag team partner, Primetime John Paz. And John, today in the show, we're joined by the man behind Kfabe Commentaries, the co-founder of of Kayfabe Commentaries and ShootInterviews.com. The one and only Sean Oliver joins today's program. And I want to take one second to pump up Kayfabe Commentaries' new release of Timeline 1986 featuring NWA legends, the Rock and Roll Express, as they take Sean Oliver down a very rocky road in which the Rock and Roll Express saw some of their greatest achievements and some of their greatest successes in that year, Of 1986, and as we talk to Sean Oliver, you're going to get to know not only his history as a fan, not only how some of these innovative concepts that Kayfabe commentaries has brought to the forefront in the shoot interview genre, you're going to find out how all that came about. But in addition, you're going to get one hell of a Ricky Morton impression by Sean Oliver. But it's Sean Oliver who is the subject of today's show, and it's cool to flip the script and interview the interviewer because there are shoot interview companies out there, and there are people who do exceptionally well at the comprehensive shoot interview, kind of like in the vein of the podcast that we do with the Two Man Power Trip, where we'd like to do those career retrospectives, but it is fun when you can kind of step outside the box and do something a little different. Well, Sean Oliver and Kayfabe Commentaries have really gone well above and beyond the call of duty when it comes to making those products so different and making the fans and people who really ingest shoot interviews just just leave you dying for more because they come up with such innovative concepts and things that you probably never expected to watch on some kind of physical media or any kind of streaming device that you watch your pro wrestling shoot interviews on but john as we talk about sean oliver what do you think made this interview feel different and why were you and i so excited to get to finally talk to the one and only sean oliver
1: Yes, Chad, back here again at the two-man power trip of wrestling, and today is a definitely different episode here. It was a ton of fun. It was awesome to do, but it wasn't a guy that was actually a wrestler or was actually, you know, involved with managing, involved with behind the scenes. This is a guy that changed the shoot interview business forever, completely changed that industry. And you know how fans nowadays are just absolutely obsessed with shoot interviews and stories, And what really happened backstage, well, Sean Oliver is the guy to go to if you want to get these stories and much, much more over at Kayfabe Commentaries. What an awesome episode. So much fun. There's so many episodes where it's like, oh, like when we got the chance to interview Dean Ambrose. Oh, he's from WWE. Got to interview him. When we had on Kane, oh, he's from WB, you have to interview him, or, or, you know, we had Dusty, Road War Animals, like these guys, you have to interview them, they're just legends in the business, or or, or their name is so prominent, uh, you know, you're looking for download numbers, or you know, whatever the case may be, but Sean Oliver is just one of those guys that we both said when we started this, we really want to talk to him. He completely changed the game on how you really do the interviews. Look at what he's done with um, Back to the Territories, the Timeline series. So many things that he's been able to do with kayfabe commentaries that wasn't even thought of before. Guest Booker, Raven's Wrestler Rescue. I mean, there's just so much awesome stuff over there. And it's not just your generic, like, in 19, you know, 1993 versus uh, Yokozuna, what happened? You know? it goes much more it goes much deeper and obviously you know you got breaking kayfabe so many of these series are just great thoughts and then great execution because he's such a good interviewer and you know Chad me and you have kind of jokingly said off air like this guy's like Barbara Walters he's getting these guys uh, to cry or he's getting this guy to dig deep and give him answers that they wouldn't give to anybody else and it's so true because he even says in the interview like oh I don't know what it is about me but somehow they just trust me enough to give me great answers and really really not give him any bullshit they give give him straight shoot answers and it's just great and even stuff where you know he's uh, doing the you shoot and you know he's kind of prying the guy's like "Eh, I don't know if I really want to give you know that answer and then he really pries at him and oh he opens the guy up the guy gives a real honest answer and it's just awesome stuff and he's just really really i mean i've said it a million times he he changed the industry as far as shoot interviews are concerned They will never be the same, and any other shoot interview now is kind of like blasé compared to what he's been able to do, and I just absolutely love kayfabe commentaries. I absolutely love him as an interviewer, and now you see that they're kind of getting the different guys. Cornette's hosting a series. Kevin Nash will be hosting a series. Russo will be hosting a series. So they're kind of breaking off and doing some different stuff, but I've got to be honest, I'm going to miss Sean Oliver doing those interviews because he's so funny. He's so sarcastic sometimes, and he just has a great wit, and he's super smart, and you can tell he's a longtime fan of the business and just such a great guy and think about the interview for a second here chatty boy the Bruno San Martino story that you put up on YouTube that's just a small sample of that bigger picture of that story which is just unbelievable and absolutely hilarious so you're really really going to enjoy with this one this is one of the ones that's just for me and you chad and obviously everyone else is going to enjoy it but it's one of those ones that when we look back we're like yes thank god you know we finally got to be able to interview sean oliver because he's a guy that we always wanted to pick his brain always wanted to talk to and always wanted to, to, you know, find out how he came up with some of the great ideas that he has over there with Kayfabe commentaries, like my favorite series, the Timeline series, where you go through the whole year of a specific company. So it was great to dig deep, and it was great to find out all that stuff from Sean. And I guarantee that you are really, really going to enjoy this one. This is one of our funniest and most fun episodes that we've ever done.
3: And you mentioned Timeline, and I want to say it again: go out and check. The Timeline 1986 NWA featuring the Rock and Roll Express. Such a funny, just if you watch the trailer, if you've seen some of the clips that are on YouTube, they're absolutely fantastic. And it's really, it's just such a testament to Sean that he gets such great content out of his guests. But also the Timeline 1997 featuring Kevin Nash's WCW and his whole breakdown on that. And we talk about that in the interview, as well as something that made headlines before it's even come out. And that is You Shoot featuring Hornswoggle, or now known as Swoggle, with some of the controversial things that he had to talk about, and obviously he's somebody that's seen it all over the last 10 years inside the walls of the WWE, so it's interesting to get his take on some of the happenings going on. John, with all that being said, I want to remind you that today's episode is brought to you by the return of Spartacon. And that's Spartacon 2, the biggest and most exciting Rebels convention ever. On Saturday, August 13th and Sunday... August 14th in Waldorf, Maryland, complete with cosplayers, artists, exhibits, celebrity guests, stuntmen and stunt coordinators, CrossFit trainers, and Legion instructors. You never know what you're going to find at the one and only Spartacus fan convention based in the United States. It's Spartacon 2, August 13th and 14th in Waldorf, Maryland at the Blue Crab Stadium. Head on over to RedSerpents.com for not only the full list of the celebrity guests and attend but also how you can take advantage of some amazing hotel deals for those coming from out of town. And again, it's RedSerpents.com for more information and more to come in the coming weeks from our friends over at Spartacon and maybe even a chance for you to attend Spartacon in Waldorf, Maryland. And with all of that being said, I know I say that a lot, but we want to thank you for listening. And John's going to hit you with a little bit of two-man power trip of wrestling business in a minute. With all the Spartacon stuff out of the way, get it on over to Sean Oliver and get it on out of here with some two-man power trip of wrestling business.
1: And now, for some TMPT business, like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, at Wrestling Palin and at Two Man Power Trip. Please head over to our YouTube page and subscribe to us over there. Also, subscribe to us on iTunes. And while you're there, check out the feed for the latest and greatest episodes from the Two Man Power Trip, including episodes with the late American Dream, Dusty Rhodes. The Total Package, Lex Luger, Jesse the Body Ventura, the phenomenal AJ Styles, WWE's lead attorney, Jerry McDivitt, Stan the Lariat Hanson, Hall of Famer Coco Beware, the legendary Magnum TA, and so, so, so many more. So please check us out on iTunes. Also, you can check us out on Google Play, the i95 Sports Network, and Player FM. Please also check out our website, tmptofwrestling.com. That is tmptofwrestling.com. And don't forget, we are now contributors on Wrestling Inc. Yes, please go to wrestlinginc.com and look for the two-man power Trip of wrestling. We will be all over that site, and it's one of the best wrestling sites out there, so you're going to enjoy that. And also, please go to prowrestlingtees.com for not only our page, but also, please check out Kevin Thorne, Buff Bagwall, Paul Orndorf, and coming soon, Tito Santana. So please head over to ProWrestlingTees.com. And now, without any further ado the co-founder of Kayfabe Commentaries, and the man who changed the game in the shoot interview business forever. He's the Barbara Walters of professional wrestling. He is Sean Oliver. Please enjoy.
4: All right, well, uh, i got to say something. It's finally, uh, it's very good to be back here on the Two Man Power Trip of Wrestling as we're joined by a man who, if it wasn't for him, we might not know the word you shoot in the pro wrestling community. He's the co-founder of Fape Commentaries, and he's brought us such great titles as guest booker, the Timeline Series, and, of course, as I mentioned, the You Shoot Series. He's the one and only Sean Oliver. Thank you so much for joining the Two Man Power Trip of Wrestling.
0: You might not know you shoot, you might not know the size of Batista's dick. You might not know i mean think of all the things that uh that the public <laughs> would know True. if they'd be deprived of
4: let's see the whole bag, the dick bag, what's in the bag I mean if it's something with a bag they uh if they know anything about k commentaries, they know what they uh what they have in store for them but it's really cool to have you on. You're definitely, uh, you're somebody, John and I, we always love to talk about the U-shoots and the timeline, and everything that you guys got going on. But I got to say, I want to start right off the top. And, of course, like I said, it's great to have you.
0: Uh-huh. The
4: timeline of WCW 1986, as told by two former guests of our show, Ricky and Robert, the Rock and Roll Express. If you haven't seen the trailer, please go to shootinterviews.com and check it out and watch it. Because I can't imagine what was going through your head While you were recording it But it's one hell of a trailer To say the least How was that put together with Ricky and Robert And what a year to look into in 1986
0: well, Let me be honest with you, brother Let me tell you, brother I mean, I'm trying to, I'm trying to conjure up to Ricky Morgan Hold on a minute Maybe take a few more seconds <laughs> <laughs> I'm be honest Something you may not know, brother Back in the day we didn't talk about production. Um, it was a lot like that for a while. Um, uh, every once in a while I'd look over at Robert and he'd nod at me and, and I'd know he was still alive. And yeah. uh and, and and the interview was fine. Uh, no, seriously, um it was fine. It was it was nineteen eighty six was probably probably the height of the Rock and Roll Express's uh glory days. Uh, Certainly in in the Crockett territory. 1986 saw uh, their big feud with the Midnight Express up there. They'd already fought in Bill Watts' territory, but as far as that territory, Jim Crockett promotion slash WCW, which is what that series chronicles, 86 was the year that saw that feud it saw uh Ricky get separated from Robert for a while to do a, a singles run against Flair, which he hints at um could have gone much further, uh, with him winning the belt, um, but he didn't want to be separated from Robert in any kind of permanent fashion. So he kind of he kind of implies that that's maybe why Ronnie Garvin kind of might have randomly kind of been stuck in there with a title win um, because he refused to, uh, Ricky rather, refused to go any further with that uh, that title series uh, against Blair. So you had that, you had the Rock and Roll Express fan club for God's sakes, 1999, got you the, uh, probably a, a poster, I think a record, a single 45 for anyone over 45 years of age. Um, uh, it saw the uh, a few contests, the Miss Rock and Roll Express, as well as a um, I think it was a look alike contest for the youngins. Big year, big year. Uh, those were the guys to talk to, unquestionably. Apparently, Dusty was <laughs> Dusty was a bit of a thorn in their side but uh, that he succeeded despite Dusty's uh, efforts, alleged efforts to keep them down. And when Dusty realized he couldn't quite do that, Dusty stuck some bandanas on his big ass and jumped out there with him and did some six-man,
4: didn't he? Oh, yeah. Oh, he definitely did, and it's kind of funny because when we had Robert on, Actually, it's not kind of funny. It was a week after Dusty passed away, and, you know, our connection with Dusty, having his last interview, we brought it up to Robert. And without, you know, I hate to say without a a blink or without, you know, hesitation, Robert uh, says, uh, yeah, you know, Dusty was great, but uh, Dusty, you know, he basically was jealous of us. It's like, wow, okay, the guy's, uh, he's only been gone for about a week, and we're already starting to dig up, you know, some of these old uh, feelings. But the part you said about Ricky... Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. No pun intended at all. Same thing with the blinking comment. That was completely passed yeah, over. Exactly.
0: But very very uh, well done. But, you should host a shoot series.
4: Hey, 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 do it twice a week here on the uh, on the podcast. But um yeah. the part with Ricky and not I don't know why he just wouldn't say it. Your reaction is priceless because he just won't come out and say he was going to get the world title. He j- it's like his still is his allegiance to Robert. He wouldn't. He, he, he passed it up. It could have changed his career, obviously. He's not very shy about, uh, you know, lack of money that he might have made had he gone on a bigger run as a babyface. Of course, is one of the greatest babyfaces of all time. But how did you feel working with them? Because it seems like, you know, we're, we're northern guys. We're New Jersey guys. They're from the deep south. The, these two guys dominated the south. Um, how did you feel about them opening up, you know, that vault for 1986? Do you think that's something still they just love bringing out the old stories and bringing it to this audience today?
0: Yeah, they were. That was their. That was their equivalent of like maybe what we might tell some raucous high school stories with when we get together with friends at a reunion. You know, it's it's that it's that whole vibe. They're reliving a time that was. Clearly enjoyable, so they're in their zone, they're in their comfort zone.
4: And it, like you said, it was them. 1986 was them for the Rock and Roll Express and the timeline series for WCW. But if you were going to think about anybody else, if you were going to think about somebody for 1986 at the Rock and Roll Express, I mean, it, usually it's very chronological for the year. You go through a lot of the moments. Um, they had so much going on that year. Was there anybody else you would have ever considered? For 1986, outside of maybe a guy like Dusty, who obviously is no longer
0: with us, <clears throat> um, it might have been a different show. But we we talked about Nikita. We really want Nikita for '87, though. We think that, that that would be, you know, with the baby face turn everything, that would have been a better, that will be a better time uh, if we can get Nikita for that. But you know, he was he was working prominently in '86. He could have covered that. Uh, you could have um, done. See that the key is. With the timeline series, it's much harder to choose talent than I think a lot of people give, uh, might initially imagine. Because you, you think of some big events that happened, right? This happens to us all the time at the WWE one when we go below the '80s, like when we talk about the '70s, and we go, "Oh, well, we've got to get Ivan off you know, heavyweight champion." Then you realize he was there for, you know, just a few months. These guys people were in and out and and maybe not used in such a prominent way for an entire year. So we try to get people that were in a position, if not talking about their angles in the first person, that would have at least been able to be used prominently enough where they were on all the TVs, they were at all the tapings, they were at most of the house shows so that they could even talk about the ancillary stuff that was going on. A fight backstage that was you know in the headlines or, or that we were aware of, or you know uh, someone's someone having been fired for some kind of behavior y- you want to get somebody on that was working enough for the entire year January through December, that they can speak to all those things, if not even just their angles so when what co- initially comes to mind when you then go fact check it on a website, you start to realize oh this guy didn't even show up until march and it's totally the case with all 99 of the guys in the 70s in wwe even champions um you have a lot you have a lot of half a year runs where people don't show up until you know august and you can't you can't bring that person on to represent that entire year it's tough finding the right people for the right years
2: you know, one that just came out recently and that I really saw the trailer and really think it's going to be good is Kevin Nash, his timeline with WCW in 1997. I just love anything Nash. and I know I, I ran into you um, at Legends of the Ring and you said, you know, what series do you like? I said, anything with Nash. And you said, oh, you know, timeline was good. So what was it like, again, working with Nash and doing this timeline for WCW?
0: This one was great because this was this is the NWO. So we got to talk about, all things NWO and you, you know the the, the uh, just the evolution of it. The initially you had the outsiders, and then of course everyone knows what happened when it gets up to the NWO. But Nash had that thing where he was where he was one of the one of the sparks that lit the fire. So he could talk about it again from a very unique perspective having I mean, come in and see the changes firsthand, working with Eric to kind of craft to the NWO, um, he was one of the engineers out of it. So, he was, again, he was the perfect guy to, to, for that year.
2: One thing that really stuck out in the trailer, which I thought was funny, I'm not really sure how it gets to that point where you start talking about Goldberg, because obviously, you know, Goldberg debuts in 97, but really, you know, his big momentum starts taking place more so in, in 98. But he says that the streak that he ended of Goldberg's was kind of like Ludwig Borges, and end, um, basically ending Petnaka's streak. What did you think about that comic? That struck me as a little odd.
0: Well, what he was saying was that streaks don't really matter. He, like, do people really hang on to like who who ends the streak? And I think he was kind of questioning the wisdom of the streak um, in and of itself. Yeah, that was that was a very funny. <laughs>
2: As soon as he said it, I'm thinking myself, hmm, Tatanka Goldberg, it might, it might have been a little bit of a difference. And, you know, and obviously him, himself and Ludwig Borg, it might be a little bit of a different thing, but Nash is so cool and, and he's been doing so much work with you. Do you feel like great chemistry with Nash? Because it seems like you guys play off each other pretty well.
0: Yeah, Kevin and I are, are good, you know. We talk and so we we kind of were able to... Kevin actually, we shot something this past weekend or two weeks ago and he... um. He made a comment after we were shooting at one point that you know we've we've done so many of these that he he's able to kind of anticipate where everything's going to go before I even bring it out. So it's kind of leading a dance and somehow sending a signal to your partner <laughs> what move is coming next, you know. Um, so we actually we I talked to Kevin about uh, hosting a series for us which he's uh, verbally agreed to do. Uh, We have to hash out the details, but um, I'd be very excited. As you know, we're kind of – the direction we're going is with more celebrity-hosted programming. You've seen enough of my dumb face for the last 10 years. Uh, Hmm. I I had to host it out of necessity, really, in all of this stuff because – no one was playing the music that we wanted to play, you know? And so for control's sake, I, I, I really had to post and to kind of show what we wanted this thing to become. You know, the shoot interview before we got there was a head on a platter for four hours on your TV screen, you know, with a, a disembodied voice from behind the camera barking out a, a series of uh, lists of questions. So I wanted this to go a very different way, you know, and we had had visions of this You Shoot thing, which would be free format and loose and games and, you know, very much the fan's dream sitting across from the honky-tonk man at a bar and throwing out these crazy fucking questions and having him answer them um, uncensored. And then the timeline stuff, which we wanted a very historical tone and really, really the minutiae of detail and drilling down into into the details of what was going on into a company. So I had to I had to do that myself. It's hard to get the idea across as, you know, if nobody knows what the hell a pancake is, how can you tell someone to cook one? So I had to make the pancakes for a while. But now that everybody's seen this format and it's clearly caught on, you can just turn on WWE Network to see that. Um, you, we can start to hand the reins over to to people who would be able to do this stuff. Not everybody can can host, and you got to have the right host for the right show. Jim Cornette hosting our Back to the Territories series, which uh, chronicles the great territories of years past, and uh, having Raven host our Raven's Wrestler Rescue, which is a makeover show, giving psychology and character direction and you know, change of character to young talent. Raven's the perfect host for that. Leva Bates is hosting our bombshell series. She's fun and funny and uh, has a great rapport with all the female workers. So she's the perfect host for that. So we, uh, we made Nash an offer and you we'll know, see where we go with that.
2: Nash is just, he's one of the best minds in the history of the business of that. and obviously one of the forefathers of the NWO, which was just. You know, huge highlight, obviously, TimeLine 97 focuses on the MWO was one of the biggest highlights ever in the history of the business. But, you know, you mentioned going with different hosts and you mentioned Jim Cornette. What's the relationship like with Jim Cornette? Cause he is a great guy, but he can also be a little bit of an eccentric guy as well.
0: Yeah, listen, I, you know, I was in the entertainment business for 20 years. And I, you know, no personality types really throw me for a loop. I was just on the phone with Jim today as he, in one conversation, blamed me. For his recurring bronchitis because I <laughs> overworked him last week. We put another series of, uh, another season rather of back to the territories in the can for the 2017 slate of programming. And I guess he was under the weather and I worked him for about 24 hours straight. So I got then, you, know, you know, I guess Stacy threw him and thanked me for his continued illness. And, but then I <laughs> happily evened up the, uh, evened up the score by taking credit for his 35,000 listeners a week now, I think, on his podcast. And so I, I happily threw in the fact that uh, I will take credit for much of that for keeping him interesting for the last two or three years on filmed entertainment. That's the kind <laughs> of relationship it is with Jim. You go back and forth a little bit and pisses and moans. Oh, God damn. you said blah, 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 blah. And then once he has that kind of uh, emotional vomit, he, it settles, and he says, all right, well, come on, let's uh, blah, 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 and then we get back on track.
2: Gotta love Cornette. He's one of the best ever. But you know, it's interesting as far as you and your role, you somehow are friend with uh, Cornette, and then on the other end of the spectrum, his mortal enemy, Vince Russo. So what's it like working with Vinnie Rue?
0: Vin, I I I like Vince. I mean, dare I say, it, I like them both. Um, I know it is some kind of a sin in some way <laughs> to to play with uh, to play with God and the devil at the same time. I don't know. I don't know who, who's who though. <laughs> uh, in that in that equation, right? That could that could be debated in and of itself. Um, but it's I mean it's work, you know. I don't I don't think about the other when I'm with the other one, and we're just. When I'm working with Vince, uh, he's very easy to work with, and he he's another guy who gets out programming uh, and w- with jim jim's uh, the, the difference in working with both is jim's you can put a much longer leash on Jim you, you don't have to do as much. you kind of wind him up and point him in that direction, and you just make sure there's enough road in front of him to keep going and and that's it. Um, Vince, you know, it's a little more structured. It's a little more Q&A. Uh, you know, I serve it up, and he hits it back, and then i got to serve it up, and then he hits it back. Whereas I just, I just get out of the way of corny balls. That's the first time I've ever said that. I get out of the way of Corny's balls. Have you ever had a guest that said that?
2: <laughs> no, never. <laughs> Great line. Wait, have you ever tried to get Cornette and Russo together for a shoot?
0: No, because every every hack producer, whatever you call this level, has tried that, and they're not going to do it. I've talked to them both independently. First of all, Russo does have a problem with Jim. Jim is a very big problem with Vince, and, you know, he's he's promised his wife that he'd never be in the same room with him again for fear of of what would happen, and, you know, I have to take Jim seriously at his word. I like both of them. I don't want it to happen to either of them. So if the best thing is that they both stay in opposite ends of the playground and everybody keeps body parts intact, then that's what I'm going to do. You know, it's funny with Russo.
2: You know, a lot of people have a different opinions on him and everything else. But what's he kind of like? You know, like his personality, people say you know, he has such a strong personality. But, you know, we've heard from guys like Ed Ferrara, of course. He says, you know, Vinny Rue isn't what you think he is. And, he, you know, he's a real great guy. But
0: what's he like off camera? he's a he's like any of your friends right? you guys are northeast guys right oh, yeah. he's like oh, yeah. he's like he's us he's he's one of us he's if he wasn't writing the t v he'd be over your house watching pay views with you know <laughs> and, and he's just a, a a guy like us that got to to do it for real at a at, at a very high profile um the guys I get along with best in the business, and the guys that I always look forward to spending time with, guys like Russo, guys like Sullivan, Nash, they're always the guys that when we hang out, we we don't have to talk about wrestling. I love you know being around people that can talk about um, can talk about sports in general, but can talk about real estate, or you know, or talk about the economy or politics, or you know, it's just. Those are guys, irrespective of the wrestling business, those are people that I prefer to spend my time with. so there happens to be a few of them in the wrestling business that I enjoy spending time with outside of outside of wrestling talk and you know Vince is one of them. you don't have to talk about wrestling too. Vince is very big into like pop culture he's got uh, he's a very big Howard Stern fan, so you know we have stuff in common that references that you can that you can make outside of um, outside of wrestling, I actually actually fantasize about never having to talk about wrestling again.
4: <laughs>
0: <laughs> it kind of sucks the life out of you. So often.
4: Well, yeah, it's I definitely when that you got to talk like, about just, it all the time, it sucks the life out of you. You've got to figure out how to switch it up, and that's what I think you do very, very well, not to uh, you know blow smoke up anybody's rear end here, but you know, one thing that you, you really you can't go on to a YouTube, you can't go on to a wrestling site without seeing, you know, a kayfabe commentary uh, trailer or some kind of something going on with the shoot. But I, I just kind of want to hit on this with YouTube and uh, piracy being what it is in 2016. Does it get under your skin the amount of people that either throw a clip up, if it's a two-minute clip of a, of a shoot that you've only released a trailer, or if it's something that hasn't really been out in the marketplace yet, uh, how long does it really take for you to get into action to just kind of like go after that and just be like, you know, this, come on, guys? It's, or are we past all this yet?
0: Well, it's a, it's a really very very complicated uh, topic because, for better or worse, there is a there. I'm going to blame it on a generational shift, and it's a it's it's a generational shift in that. The, uh, the digital native, you know, someone who has always had digital media around them from when they were a young, aware person, 12, 13, whatever. Um, they grew up in an environment where whether they like it or not, or they subscribed to it or not, it was a general pervasive notion that anything digital is free. And, they didn't create it; they were born into it, and we know it's not true. And we know that the methods of policing it are so much more different than the, the dude that had the motley crew bootleg cassette for sale at the flea market. You know, it, it's it's become so so much more sophisticated. So, any anyone that produces original content has to accept the fact that it's never going away. So our world is a world of original content plus piracy, okay? It's been it's been adopted into our world. So now it becomes a matter of managing it. I look at any 2-minute clip that a fan wants to put up on YouTube of our program as a great commercial for us. So we we, we tend to leave now people put to – 35 10-minute clips up, that's called the entire (laughs) program, and of course that gets taken down. But, um, you know, as a content partner of Google, um, we have the means to very quickly get accounts shut and and stuff taken down. But but for the most part, a fan who's like, I I love this shit, I love this show, and they just want to share a part of it, that person's a fan. The guy that's leeching the thing to a torrent site, is doing it because he's a fan. He's not putting, on, you know, putting up the democratic debate. He's, he's putting up something that he's passionate about that he loves and sharing that. So it comes from a very pure place, piracy. Even the most hardened pirate comes from the, the, uh, a pure place. They're fans, and they want to share it. The problem is, as you know, when you're functioning at this level and you don't have the millions of dollars behind you to continue to produce this programming, we're entirely dependent, entirely dependent on, on sales generating production, future production, our salaries, um, every light bulb, every camera, every roll of gaffers tape. It's dependent hundred percent on sales. We're not just one arm of some massive conglomeration. So that that leached torrent, that downloaded program of ours that was downloaded instead of bought, of course hurts us. I mean that's another roll of tape we can't get. So it's all about managing it. We have, you know, an anti piracy company that does, you know, as much as they can. Uh, to get stuff down from sites that are compliant. And I think things will change. I think it's going to change as there's a lot of media consolidation, like as TV companies and movie companies begin to be owned by Internet service providers, like look at Comcast, right? You know, Comcast, which was uh, NBC, but is also an Internet service provider, so, what you're going to start to see is they'll start to look for ways to be able to monitor what's going on on your personal broadband line, not specific, you know, looking into your computer, but seeing the amount of, of download activity and maybe the sources for some of the stuff. Now that NBC has a vested interest in it, oh, it's suddenly going to become a priority. So, little guys like us, we've got to wait for the big guys to be hurt enough that it's worth their while to start doing stuff like that and maybe um, not allowing traffic to go to a particular torrent site as long as you're a Comcast.net subscriber. So once the big guys start doing it, we'll start to see some relief. But it hasn't hurt them as, as much as it's hurt people like us.
4: Yeah, it's crazy. I mean, it's you know, you go into your YouTube suggestions, and it's sometimes it's just riddled with the same people's content. Just you know, obviously, you got ten different users that are posting it up. And of course, if you see that and you think that's wrong, just go ahead and click the old report button and do your due diligence to help the cause. But with the big guys and the big guns, of course, let's talk about you know the WWE, the WWE Network. You've always been ahead of the curve when it comes to getting your content out there creatively. You were part of uh, the on-demand game uh, way ahead of anybody else, really, in the shoot interview game, or people who also publish shoot-style interviews. But with the invention of the WWE Network, obviously they had to create some original content, and with that came some very similar concepts for television programs which, again, in 2016, it's, uh, it's kind of hard sometimes to come up with original programming, but have you seen anything that really catches your eye, like, hmm, kind of seen something similar to this coming out of the old kayfabe commentary's uh, production studio, uh, but seen, you know, the WWE's production kind of spin on the whole, uh, you know, take of the, the matter?
0: Well, have you? I mean, they, we first started to see it happen, Around, I'd say 2010, 2011. What would start to happen was we get a little bit of concept creep. I was calling it. Ooh, some of our, our conceptual stuff would start to show up in other other shows. Uh, a very good example: we launched our timeline series, and it had been out for about a year. Uh, timeline: The History of WWE, which was our first uh, brand of the. Or a series in the timeline brand, and um shortly after that, um, someone from Titan tower um got in touch with us. I think they won a contest actually for for like a free disc, one on a podcast or a radio show or something. and they got in touch with us, and they were like yeah, you know we we love your stuff over here um you know could you send could you send some stuff? So we sent a box of uh, timelines up to Titan Tower. You know, it wasn't Vince. It was just young guys working in, like, the media room or whatever or the, the library or something. And um, about six months later, there's an edition of WWE Magazine called The History of WWE. And through the entire magazine, a timeline runs. And and the whole story throughout the magazine is through, like, call-out boxes from the timeline in the center of the magazine. Now, our earlier shows, our first few timeline shows, we, it, it was much more of a linear, like, timeline format. It wasn't just, like, the pop-ups. So, you know, that was, uh, I guess, a, a compliment to us. But what started to happen was they started to see the value of using their talent Outside of their character and making them kind of like our shoots used to do, having fan interaction, fan mail bags, fans question, and crazy questions, and you know letting the wrestlers be as unhinged as would be safe for the publicly traded WWE. Um, those wacky answers they give. Um, so it was more the the, the 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 sentiment of the shoot interview and what you shoot did for the shoot interview, they started trying to, to script that into the programming. And then now it's just uh, with you know, the JBL series. That, that's just a straight-out shoot interview. But we're always going to have an advantage over them, guys. I, I, I'm never threatened by WWE because it can't really be a shoot interview unless you're telling the truth. And unless it's really gloves off, um, totally uncensored, anything goes, that's what a shoot is. That's the definition of a shoot in this business. And it's never going to be a shoot. They're never going to talk about the Chris Benoit incident. Um, not that I think it needs more airtime, time, uh, but they're never going to talk about Mel Gibson, Mel, Gibson, <laughs> Mel Phillips sucking on anyone's toes, uh, in the ring crew. They're never going to talk about the allegations of Terry Garvin sticking a finger up Billy Jack Kane's asshole in the shower. They can't talk about stuff. So it's never going to be a shoot. You can't tell the history of anything without examining the good, the bad, and the ugly. And that's what I intended for that timeline series to be. The fan's shelf, which would eventually have 40 discs, um, that line it going through all the years first person accounts by each of them, no historians you know, no writers it, it's told by the people that were there in the first person to, using the word I saw um, that's what I wanted it to be to take us from the 60s up through today the whole story they're never going to be able to tell it because they're going to have to skip stuff so people are always going to have to come to us for the shoot
4: and they've got what you know is the largest library of actual footage that they can put together with the words that they could put together in a in a, either a JBL legend show or a countdown or a timeline that they would create but you're so creative about doing other things to get around that and telling the actual stories. And when you think about looking at two guys in front of you, in front of the, your your television set, whether it's you and Kevin Nash or you and Sabu or you and RVD, what do you do to keep that viewer compelled? I mean, it's two guys you, you bring out some props sometimes depending on what show it is, but how do you keep that viewer compelled and, You know, leaving you then going to the WWE network and say, you know what, I got all the WWE content right here. I got JBL hosting this. I got you know Joey Styles hosting an ECW expose. How do you go out of your way to keep that viewer just engaged and staying with kayfabe commentaries?
0: I am completely confident that no one is ever going to turn off me and Nash talking or me talking to Sabu to turn on any shit on WWE network. Now. Um, if it was a straight uh, competitive comparison there, because there is none. A, we always try to add a visual element to our shows. Um, The shoot interview in in its inception was, like I said before, just a guy's face for four hours. There was an opportunity to do some other stuff. So the timeline series, for example, no one's ever going to write a book. No one's ever going to write the total history of the company. So I kind of always wanted the timeline series to be like a book. So we have you know, the, the text element of it where something pops up on the screen and you read about what happened. So imagine you're reading the biggest historical wrestling tome, 8,000 pages, which sits on your lap. And when you read about the events of... August 17, 1978, right after you read that, you turn the page, and Superstar Billy Graham pops out of your book, sits across from you, and talks about what you just read. That was the concept for me. What if you were reading a book, and then the dude would be there to tell you more in-depth about the little page of details you just read? So there's that visual element to that. You shoot a visual element, of course, because we have the games and the questions and the videos that people send in and can do whatever they want on the videos. Sometimes it's amusing to watch them. We do the games or something on a board or maybe a green screen segment with uh, Kevin Ash doing his best Pat Patterson impersonation, one well, I'm of my favorite And you shoot. Um, so there's a visual element to that. The Back to the Territory series with Jim Cornette. Part of the hook for that show was that we were getting Jim, who's got maybe the biggest library and collection of memorabilia uh, in the world. So he has a ton of stuff or can at least get us a ton of stuff for that show. So as we're talking about people, as we're talking about a particular event, we can bring up a newspaper clipping from that time or a magazine Entry uh, or, or personal photos uh, from 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 someone's home, uh, you know. So just we want to paint the perfect portrait of the territories with that series. So there was a, there's a visual element to that show. We try to keep a visual element to every one of the shows. The only one I guess that would be an exception to that is the Breaking Kayfabe series. But I just felt that without having to without having to stick to the timeline script, which I have to do for timeline without having to ask the fan questions, which I have to for you shoot, no matter how silly they are sometimes, that that would be 100% just me and the person across from me, and that I could keep it entertaining and engaging uh, no matter what. I don't need a graphic. I don't need anything. Just I, for me to have an uninhibited discussion with Tammy Sitch or Kevin Nash or Sabu or uh, New Jack, any of the people who, you know, live life on the fringe at times. For me to have an hour and a half or two-hour discussion with them, I knew I would be able to keep it riveting.
2: And it's great because you have completely, you know, re-energized, I guess you could say, you know, or completely changed the industry of, of the shoot interview. And like you said, I mean, you do with different aspects, whether it visual, whether it's just be a straightforward, honest guest, you know, you're just going to get an awesome answer from where he's just going to chew from the hip. But, you know, you mentioned breaking kayfabe. Can you just talk a little bit more about, you know, because that series is a little bit more emotional, like I guess you'd say, a little bit more in-depth. Can you just talk to us a little bit more about breaking kayfabe?
0: Yeah, I don't know I don't know what the genesis of the idea was for it, but I knew... I, I, wh- I wanted to be able to have a show, which, which wasn't uh, how do I say, this? was was a little more loosely formatted, timelines very heavily formatted. You know, one year, uh, the events of one year with one guest that worked on top. You know, we talked about the limitations of of casting people on that show. Um, we have you shoot, which again, kind of very formatted fan questions and. You know, our guests kind of have to be lightning rods to be interesting enough to evoke um, sizable response from fans with questions and videos. I guess Booker, I mean, you know, that's limited to people that booked in the business. I wanted to be able to just go grab a guest that was in the news and just talk to them for two hours. I just thought, I'm somebody who, when I'm not tired, is, is interested in people. And I like to talk to people and I like to listen to what they think about certain things. And I, I, I think I can get inside people's heads. And I don't say that negatively, get inside people's heads and really understand them and get them to talk about things that a third party who's watching would then be able to understand the person that I'm sitting with. So I wanted to talk to the wrestlers as people. I wanted to strip away all the character stuff and, 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 you know, problems in the business and just talk to them as a person. And um, I I think it's an extremely engaging series to be able to see New Jack or, or Sabu completely drop their guard and talk to me as if they were not even talking to a friend, maybe talking to a therapist, you know, to be that open and that candid was, A, a gift to me that they were able to be that open with me, but then also a real gift, I think, for the fans because I'm fairly convinced, and I'm not bending over and blowing myself here, but I'm fairly convinced that no one else in the shoot market or even on the WWE network would be able to do that.
2: I probably would totally, totally agree with you. And you always seem to get, you know, not like the, the generic response. You always seem to get, like you said, almost like a therapist. Like you you somehow dug deep. Is that something in, in your background that, you you know, you're so, you know, approachable and likable that they're able to give you more than, let's say, they would give, you know, like a Joey Stiles or, or somebody else that would be interviewing them?
0: I don't know. That's a really good question. Um, I. <sighs> I don't know that I can answer. You'd have to ask them. Uh, there is something going on, and I'm not, I guess I'm playing a little more coy than I am. I, I do know that there's something going on that allows me to kind of puppet master a little bit. But, but I will tell you that the, the overarching theme with mm-hmm. anyone that has been with me is trust. They know I'm not going to fuck them. We never put things out. That show anybody in a light any worse than they showed up and chose to be shown in um, we We don't air things about with people's families or or we, I think people know that uh, although I'm a content provider and I have the best possible programming at heart, that's my my goal first and foremost. But I wouldn't compromise my trust with somebody to get that. I shut down the Jake the Snake breaking kayfabe, and you know we parted ways. You know I had a hot set right there, you know, and and we sat down and we started, and he was very uncomfortable going places, and quite frankly, I wasn't going to compromise what I thought that interview with Jake should be and charge people for it. So we agreed to, you know, drop the money back on the table and I'll have someone drive him back to his hotel. Hmm. So I think, uh, I guess trust, I would say. And then beyond that, maybe there's just a a rapport that I'm I'm able to strike with people. A lot of the people also, though, that have been on that show, I've worked with before, so I kind of know them. I think everybody, let me think for a minute. I don't think anyone came in cold to breaking kayfabe. And I think that's, I think that was probably a very conscious decision when Anthony and I talked about who to bring in for the show. Tammy I'd worked with before, uh, Waltman, uh, New Jack, trying to go through them all in my head. Poffo I hadn't. Poffo I hadn't worked with, but he was a fan of our stuff and I had talked to him on the phone a bunch of times. So, uh, so there was a trust there. Um, Shane Douglas, I did work with before, so I know him. Uh, who else was on the show? Nash, obviously. Corny, obviously. Uh, Sabu. Yeah, I think all the guests I'd worked with before. Oh, Martin Giannetti, I, I hadn't worked with before. And he was pretty unhappy with uh, how he came across on the show. He blames me for it. Um, I kind of direct him back to his mirror and ask him to blame the person staring back at him. But (laughs) uh, he blames me.
2: You know. Also, with this, obviously, you have to have some sort of knowledge of the wrestling business. And you, you know, from being from the Northeast, were you always a big WWF fan, and even a WWF fan?
0: Yeah, I watched, uh, I'm 43, so I I saw my first wrestling match probably, well, on television. So my first wrestling match on television, it was probably in the the superstar Billy Graham run, or maybe like right at the end of the Bruno run, like 77, um, when I would have been five. I remember seeing it on TV, and I was immediately, it's so funny when you talk to people about the first time they saw wrestling, it's always such a... And impactful. It wasn't like, yeah, I didn't like it. And then with my friend watched it a lot. And I was like, all right, I'll watch this. Anyone that turned on wrestling as a kid in the 70s and 80s was like, you it was like crack. You're immediately hooked. And yeah, and it was Superstar to the brand. I remember seeing him on TV. And I think it was a promo. I didn't even know if he was in the ring, but I was just like, Ooh, what the hell is this? And he's going to beat somebody up? You know, He's going to be that cool and kick someone's ass? So that was, And then, I, very young, I figured out that you know it was, it was working, like what I was watching here, that these were guys who weren't really hurting each other. So then that became like watching a magic trick. So, uh, yeah, so that's when I started watching. And I, I, I attended my first event in 1981. It was uh, Bruno San Martino's retirement match. The first card held at the Brendan Byrne Arena, then uh, later became the Meadowlands Arena, Continental Area. <laughs> No oh, well. It, it just opened in eighty one and um yeah, so I saw him against George Steele. And uh yeah, I mean I attended a lot as a kid. We were fortunate up here, as you know. We were able to get a lot of wrestling on television. We had WWE, we had um on the Spanish channel, on the UHF channel, we were able to get Crockett's, uh Mid Atlantic, um, and then AWA popped up on ESPN, and then of course, you know, once we got cable and had TBS, we were able to watch Georgia Championship Wrestling. And shortly after that, it was Mid Atlantic um, World Class was on MSG Network. You, you basically you had seven nights a week. You had wrestling from all over the country. About the only stuff I don't think we got was like the the, the West Coast stuff, like Pacific Northwest and and like San Francisco, Los Angeles. We weren't getting any of that stuff. I don't think we got anything in Kansas City, but, um, but at different times, we got Florida, Watts, Mid-Atlantic, AWA, and we had a really healthy showing of, of wrestling on TV. So as a kid, if you were into it, you were able to totally keep yourself occupied between that and the magazines. I mean, now, it, I mean, the internet, so it's, seems like it's a no-brainer, but people have to understand, back in the day, it was limited to what showed up on the TV or you could buy a magazine of. That was your source of, of wrestling. But there was a lot of it up here.
2: And, you know, you mentioned Bruno's uh, retirement match versus George Animal Steele, and you had the opportunity to have an interview with Bruno. So what was that like, being able to interview someone of that magnitude, especially you know, having a, you know, that much of an influence on you as a wrestling fan?
0: Let me tell you what, Bruno. I mean, the, the, the magnitude of the interview, yes, certainly great. It's, it's from a historical standpoint, you know, how do you own a wrestling company and purport to interview the most important people in wrestling and not interview Bruno Martino? So, yes, definitely bucket list, all that stuff. But here's the only thing I'm going to remember about Bruno Martino's interview. And this is what everybody should remember, but nobody has the opportunity to because you don't know it until now. I booked Bruno to do this interview he was going to shoot it with us following an autograph signing at a convention. His signing block went long. So he, he had a time conflict. It would have have kept us to like an hour interview. And and I couldn't do that with fucking Bruno San Martino. So Hmm. we all go in and we sit down in the conference room and the promoters of the event are there. I'm there. Bruno's there. His agent at the time. And, you know, Bruno's like, if, I, I got to get home. If you're going to keep me for another day, you're going to have to make it worth my while. And I didn't feel I was in a position to have to pay anything extra. My convention didn't run over. I was the one getting elbowed out. So I said, well, listen, I said, Bruno, go home. Do I have your word that the next time you're out here, we can do this? And he said, yeah. He said, or just come to Pittsburgh. I'll make time for you." So that was enough for me that, that, that he made that offer. So we shook hands. We parted. What happens days after this, or maybe weeks, I'm romanticizing it, <laughs> shortly <laughs> after that, he gets the call for the Hall of Fame, and they don't want him to do anything. Well, <laughs> I've got him coming back. we commissioned an artist to do original portraits of Bruno that we were going to sell, and he was going to sign them. We had, like, we still have a few of them, uh, um, originals. And then we had lithographs made of them. So when you bought the signature edition of the shoot interview, you could actually get a lithograph signed by Bruno. And we had this whole thing that we had invested in. And on his own, Bruno went to Connecticut, sat down, they were doing the whole deal, putting the whole whatever, this whole thing together with WWE for the the uh, Hall of Fame and everything that that entailed. And he said, on his own, I have an obligation to people in New Jersey. And they were like, what are you talking about? He's like, I told them I would do an interview on DVD. And they're like, well, you know, we, we really prefer that you, you know, then i not to tell Bruno not to do something, but <clears throat> really prefer you wouldn't do this and blah, blah, blah. And they asked him like, how much? He's so shrewd. He's so smart. So Bruno gave him this outrageous figure that, that, that he claimed, that he said that we paid him because he <laughs> because he knew they were just going to try and send us a check and say, listen, here it is. Cover this. You know, here's the money. Uh, or, or to give him the equivalent to tell us to, to take a hike. And so they were like, all right, well, we'll let you do that, but then nothing else. I don't know anybody else in this business that upon being promised the Hall of Fame would have, I guess, potentially jeopardized that deal. But if nothing else, threw up a roadblock to their deal to say, I shook a guy's hand in New Jersey, and I want to give him their interview eventually. Sitting up there in Connecticut, remembered to tell them that. That was amazing to me. That was amazing to me.
2: Hmm. Crazy. And think about, he's possibly, you know, up there, obviously, Hogan. You could throw his name out there, too. But Bruno, one of the biggest stars ever in the history of business, and he's nicest. And you don't hear too many stories about that kind of stuff with wrestlers at all. And it's funny, you know, you mentioned that uh, he, his line went too long. And I, I know exactly why, because, you know, 10, 15 years ago when I met Bruno, he literally he sits you down, you have a conversation with him. It's not just like meeting a wrestler, hi, goodbye. He, you know, you ask him a question, he makes you sit down, he talks to you, so I can definitely see why his signing line went a little too long.
0: Yes, well, <laughs> the flip side of that story, let me take you back to 1985. He was doing color commentary, you know, on the weekly championship wrestling show with Vince McMahon. And, uh, and then they'd thrown him back in the ring. You remember that? He was probably like 60 years old and, you know, not in the best – I'm certain he was a lot better physical shape than I'm going to look at, at at 60. But, you know, this was the era of the, the monster men, you know, the Hulks, uh, you know, the Beefcakes and the Warlord and Hercules. And then they put Bruno back in, you know. And it's, it's – people loved Bruno, but it started – to look like just an arm drag a hip toss and a kick and a punch and you know so i sat at a speedy muffler king somewhere in central jersey where i went to meet bruno bruno was going to be there so a little clipping in the bottom maybe an eighth of a newspaper page ad so my father takes me and my brother and i'm whatever i'm 12 years old so we go out there and bruno's sitting there now he there's no table he's sitting in like the waiting area. You know, where they put like the 11 chairs against the window uh, and he's just sitting there with his box of WWF black and white um, pictures of him and Vince standing there holding the microphone. And we got our picture signed and my dad decided he was going to get a new muffler or whatever the hell, some breaks or whatever. So it was going to take like two hours so we sat and we were waiting for the car, and we sat next to Bruno for the whole time. Hmm. And about seven people came in in the two hours, and Bruno was bored hmm. and annoyed—not at the people. I mean, he was just, just sitting there and tapping his toes, you know, for the fifteen minutes in between people coming in. Some people would come in and notice him, like, "Hey, that's Bruno sitting there on the dirty chairs waiting for his car," I guess, and come over and get a picture, but. I'm glad he got the uh, he gets the recognition he so richly deserves. It's a stark contrast to the Speedy Muffler King in 1985.
2: <laughs> Very true, and I'm sure nobody except for maybe you know those seven or eight people uh, definitely you know don't know that story. That's that, that's great. That's so funny. But uh, you know, as we start to wind it down here, I definitely wanted to know because you know you're a longtime fan. You, you know, you mentioned Bruno, but. Do you have a favorite wrestler of all time?
0: I don't even know what that would mean. I so the wrestlers that I loved watching as a kid were the ones that anyone would tell you from the '80s—the ones that were the ones that were spectacled, the ones that were larger than life. Jimmy Snuka. Um, I loved Roddy. Roddy Piper was probably my favorite as a kid, having nothing to do with what he did in the ring, but just the fact that he was able to be the perfect heel with a microphone. Talk about talking people into a building. He was the epitome of it. Um, I loved Piper. Um, I, I was kind of a Morocco mark myself. Uh, a little bit for the promo, but, you know, the in ring work. Certainly had a physique in the early 80s that might indicate that he shouldn't be able to go 25 minutes at anything, much less uh, wrestling. <laughs> He's, you know, Building a deck, I don't think he could go know, to 20 minutes, but uh, certainly not wrestling. <laughs> um, yeah, so it was always guys like that that I was into. The, the the real characters of the business. The guys that made wrestling what it was. I mean, there was a time when you knew, you knew if you were dropped in a room in 1983 and you looked around and you had Asa and Sika over there and you had King Kong Bundy over here, you had Tony Atlas next to you, And you looked over there, and there was Lou Albano running around screaming. And you looked behind you, and it was Ken Patera. And you looked over there, and it was Abdul the Butcher. I mean, have we ever had that again? I mean, after the 80s, it, it kind of became something else, and that's okay. I sound like an old man now. But it's okay that it became something else. But it was so unique. The people in it could have only done this or maybe run away with the circus. It was this or prison for half of them, probably. So you have the most interesting, unique people in the world in this business, and those are the ones that I really love talking to today.
2: You know, K kayfabe commentary. I mean, obviously, there's so much new media out there. DVDs aren't really passe, but they're starting to get there. And you know, you guys are on demand. Uh, you know, MP3, whatever you want to say, available. Uh, okay. Have your own Roku channel. I mean, you guys are everywhere. But you know, I, I hate to say, do you have a favorite interview? But is there a couple guys that you just really, really love interviewing that you mesh well together with? Would it be like a Nash, or maybe even a Brett Hitman Hard, or something? Who are some of your favorite interviews?
0: I like the Brett show. I like the Brett show because because it was Brett. I think it was one again, very important to get his take on on camera for the timeline series. Yeah, there's a few must-haves if we're going to tell the history of the WWE. You know, I mentioned Bruno before, obviously. And we got Piper and we got we got Bret. So you know, there are people that have to be a part of the telling of that story. And Brett was certainly one. Of them. Um, I don't know if I could think of one interview offhand, and there's been hundreds that um, that I enjoyed more than others. But there are people I always love having come back, guys like Nash. Um, First and foremost, because they make a lot of money for us, and secondly, because they're fun to talk to. So I love talking to Sullivan on camera. I think he's, he's so smart, and he was a very mysterious figure. So I love drawing the curtain back on him a little bit, getting inside that that thought process, the heel booking, all that stuff. Um, yeah, there, there, there's a lot of. My, I haven't, I haven't not enjoyed my time with with very many of them.
4: Kevin Sullivan uh, maybe the Prince of Darkness or the Devil himself, but he's one hell of a baseball fan, and he's one hell of a pop culture enthusiast, and that's one thing I love about anything that Kevin Sullivan does, is like you said earlier, you get different sides, and you get different looks into these guys that we thought were one thing larger than life, or in Sullivan's case, legitimately uh, a Devil worshipper. But, you know, Sean, as we wrap it up here, and, you think about, we usually ask you know, the wrestlers, what's your legacy going to be when at the end, you know, your career's over at the end of the day? But when you look at kayfabe commentaries, you see what you've done over the last 10 years or so and where you're going in the next five years. You've already asked the clique who would they F marry and kill when it comes to one another. But where do you see kayfabe commentaries evolving as the years and months go by and we just move forward down to uh, the history uh, of the business?
0: Yeah, i i i couldn't imagine i couldn't imagine it being anything significant you know it's it, i it's we could talk about all this stuff and we've we've elevated it in the last hour or however long we've talked and we've, we've talked about it like it was god's work but it's it's really only rock and roll isn't it so i I would imagine we will be tucked somewhere in the memories of those guys that used to enjoy our stuff while sitting in their parents' basement and hammering off to online porn. Um, <laughs> in between free porn sites, they would put on a show interview here or there. So I gave them a little pre-ejaculatory enjoyment. And <clears throat> I'm happy. you got to take what you can guess. I'm happy with that for God's sakes.
4: <laughs> exactly. And now they can head on over, and you're gonna, you'll give them the plug in a minute. They can check out that timeline uh, the history of WCW 1986 with the Rock and Roll Express. Like I said earlier, the trailer is just—it's out of this world. And if you've heard both of them on this show, you know you get your money's worth. Obviously, when Sean's asking the questions, uh, you don't know what the answer is going to be. But I got to ask you quickly about the Bruno eight by ten. Was it perm Bruno or slick back hair Bruno?
0: <laughs> it was very much the slick back because this was the uh, he he was co-hosting the show. With Vince, so yeah, now this was he already lost the uh, the wig, and this was the the, the thinning, uh, slicked back uh, deal.
4: Awesome. Well, that's, I had to know that is that one of the uh, that was one of the ones I was on the edge of my seat waiting for. But please, Sean, share with the listeners of the Two Man Power Trip if they don't know already where they can find anything and everything for kayfabe commentaries.
0: If you go to shootinterviews.com dot com. That will direct you to our website, and uh, there, our entire world of highly formatted shoot programming will be available to you. The Timeline Series, the You Shoot Series, Back to the Territories, Bombshells, our new women's show, Um, it's all there. If you like DVDs still, if you're an old guy like me and you think that ownership means you could hold something in your hand, then you place an order, we'll get a damn DVD your house in two or three days. If you don't care whether you physically own it or not, we have an on demand channel from the World Wrestling Network, um, which you know you can get to right from our webpage at com. And once you purchase the on demand stream, it will stay active in your queue forever. So for those of you youngins, you do kind of own it digitally because it's yours and your in your active WWN account forever. So if you want to have a bunch of online titles of our library sitting there in your queue to watch on any device, including Roku, so you watch it on your big 65-inch TV, see my friggin' face coming at you, um, you can do that. Shootinterviews.com. Make oh, all, I all of your masturbatory dreams come true.
4: <laughs> definitely, definitely, especially with those bombshells on the way. So thank you so much, mm-hmm. Sean, for joining us, and that's where
3: I will Thanks for listening to the two-man power trip of wrestling. What the
4: world is downloading.